SOS News. Be there as it happens. City News. CTFM, this is Eyewitness News, live from our studios at number 11, Dr. Martin Loop in Adabraka here in Accra with me, Ni Lati Lati. This evening, I'm here with Akosia Ocher. In the next 60 minutes, James Jachikwesin's election as MP for Asin North, a resounding victory for the opposition NDC, but a wake-up call for the governing NPP. Tonight, we delve into the key lessons of the two parties after that crucial by-elections. Still on eyewitness news, aggrieved customers of defunct Gold Coast Fund Management Company intensify demands for probing to missing server said to be in the custody of Iyoko. Also coming up, President Tekufado pledges government commitment to making Ghana's ailing economy stronger, insisting that restoring the economy to full health remains a top priority of his administration. Stay with 97.3 CTFM for more on these and other stories on Eyewitness News. And later in business. Government admits potential negative impact of high interest rates on trade and industry amidst persistent inflationary pressures. That will be in the next 15 minutes with Akusia Autry for the top stories in the world of business. Eyewitness News is live not only in the national capital here in Accra, but across the country, we are live on a number of affiliates, including Premier 100.5 FM in Takrade, Sky Power 93.5 FM in Takrade, and Beach 105.5 FM also in Takrade, all in the Western region. If you are listening to us in the Bono region, this is Greener 95.9 FM in Sunyani Orange, 107.9 FM in Kumasi in the Ashanti region. In the eastern region, welcome to Wright, 90.1 FM in Sumanya, Holy, 98.5 FM in Naplao. In the Volta region, Dasuma, 99.1 FM in Yendi in the northern region, Wed, 88.3 FM in Zarungu in the upper east region, and Bugli Radio, 88.6 FM in Wa in the upper west region. The show is also live on Facebook on City, 97.3 FM, and also on YouTube on city tube eyewitness news as interactive tell us what you make of the stories we are bringing you tonight share your views and thoughts via whatsapp on 0549-986-996 0549-986-996 this is eyewitness news on 97.3 ctfm my name is ni lati lati here tonight with akusia Ochri. our first story this evening takes us to a signal the fallout of that by-election we saw the NDC's candidate James Jachikwesin emerging victorious in that by-election. Akusia. Supporters of the National Democratic Congress, NDC, earlier today took to the streets of Asin North to jubilate over yesterday's victory. James Jachikwesin of the NDC, after yesterday's final declaration by the Electoral Commission, polled 17,245 votes, representing 37.56%, whilst Charles Opoku of the New Patriotic Party obtained 12,630, representing 42.15%. 
Supporters of the National Democratic Congress expressed satisfaction with the results, saying James Jachikwesen will bring the much-needed development. It's giving the government, Baumia Ekufalo government, a very strong indication that 2024, whether they like it or not, we are going to win 2024. We are telling Ekufalo, Baumia, that what they are doing to Mother Ghana, we don't, as enough, we don't like. So the whole Ghana should look at as enough what they have done and replicate it to 2024. We are going to win. They should bring Baumia. We want Baumia. And this, we want Baumia. And I'm telling you, we are going to get 99.9% NDC. Baumia. Masa, we are serious. This victory, we are very happy. You know, as you can see, today we are not going to sleep. We are going to enjoy. They, as they are doing their last rally, they took custom people to ascend up, knowing that they have the people. But we told them that what we are doing is not nice. Let the ascend up people come to your last rally. NDC, 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 2024, whether they like it or not, we are coming to power, my brother. The law, the Supreme Court cannot choose who should be our representation. So we told them already that NDC, if they wish, they should have by election next month. The margin will be increased. It was 3,000 different last election. Now, close to 6,000 this election. They should try us next election by next one or two months that they want to fix. We are going to triple the victory of our NDC in our Senate. What do you people see in Yachikwesi that made you vote for him? Yachikwesi is a humble guy. It's a person who wants to lead his people, bring development to the people of great Senate. Now, we had MPP who are not doing anything for this constituency. This man came from Canada, and as a property, he gave the people of our senate. Gradually, this man is delivering. This man is delivering. For the first time, the whole of our senate, every community is having bombs. More than 1,000 bombs that he donated to the people of our senate. This win, is it a message you are sending across to MPP? My brother. The victory of the NDC is coming again, and the people say, "Hey, hey, Jomo, hey, hey, Jomo, hey, hey, Jomo, hey, hey, Jomo, hey, hey, Jomo, and the people say, I'm telling you, NDC, we are cooking more than 55 percent of the vote." So those were sounds from Asin North, uh, supporters of the National Democratic Congress speaking to City News. But meanwhile, supporters of the New Patriotic Party are optimistic that their defeated candidate Charles Upoku will come back strong in the 2024 elections. What do you make of uh, yesterday's uh, elections? Well, from the results, I first congratulate the NDC 
and Honorable James Jachikwezin for that massive win yesterday. In fact, be before the elections, we thought that looking at the grounds, Charles Opoku was going to give him a very big talent. But the voters from Asenok had already decided. So, from at the end of the coalition, when we heard that Honorable James Tietchikwesin had won a lot of polling stations in Beku, then we saw that he had already won. So, that was it. The delegates still believe that they need though a little bit disappointed from the point of view of the MPP, but I believe that is what the people want. So we should allow them to jubilate since they did what the people need. Okay, do you believe uh, with Charles Opoku there will be development in Asenno? Yes, from the point of view of Charles Opoku and the people who support him, this is a young man who has grown from here and has been able to make impact in the lives of people. The president and the MPP party supporting him would have been a very big boost for the constituency and for the people of Asenno. But since the majority of the people say they believe in honorable justification, we have to wait and see what happens. And you think that equation can also bring a development? Well, we are looking at him, looking at from that case that he is not part of the ruling government. But we have to wait and see. Yes, maybe he can lobby through other sources to get development. If you can see from our back, the road that the gutters and the filling has been done. So we are waiting to see if he can lure some people to help us bring the quota on it. There are other projects that are left. We are waiting to see if he can also go and lobby or use his own means to help develop Asin North and Asin Breku. Those were supporters of the New Patriotic Party in Asin North. Also, the executive director of the Africa Center for Parliamentary Affairs, Dr. Rashid Rahman, says the circumstances surrounding James Chachikwesen's trial may have helped him with his victory. I think we saw the people standing very firmly uh, with the honourable member. Uh, so for me, perhaps it sends a message to our legal authorities. I mean, I know we have to uphold the constitution, mm -hmm. we have to uphold the law, but the lawyers will say sometimes in the application of the law, there is some element of common sense okay. that is called jurisprudence. So I don't know whether the outcome is going to affect the legal processes, uh, but the people have spoken, and I think that must not be discounted. Okay. And, Doc, in your estimation... So that was Dr. Rashid Rahman, uh, the Executive Director of the Africa Center for Parliamentary Affairs, speaking to City News' as Charles Ozukumi. Well, this is still Eyewitness News on 97.3 CTFM, the big story. The aftermath of the by-election in Asin North, we've heard from NPP supporters and as well as the NDC supporters talking about their resounding victory and also the executive director of the Africa Center for Parliamentary Affairs. Let me now bring in uh, a representative of the New Patriotic Party. We've been joined by the director of communications of the party, Richard Anyaba. Uh, good evening to you, sir. Thank you for joining us on Eyewitness News. Thank you very much. Mm. Well, Mr. Anyaba, the NPP in the, in, ahead of this particular election, we were made to understand shared money 
you also fixed roads among other projects that you undertook in the constituency in fact you took the whole government machinery including the president himself the vice president among some top government officials in fact you also looked down on the ndc parliamentary candidate yet you lost in that election what happened uh, thank you very much. I'm not sure if I heard the last part of your statement. Sir. We looked down on the NDC candidate. Yes, because you so thought that your, your your parliamentary candidate was peerless. Uh, uh, okay, so I don't follow that part of your question. But generally, um, the, <clears throat> the the by-election, as you know, uh, I think I want to thank you, CTFM. I think your people were on the grounds and all the media uh, that was present. Uh, covering this and giving Ghana the opportunity to follow what was happening in Asin North. And I think I thank you much for that. The, uh, the good people of Asin North, uh, they've been very receptive. They supported us and, uh, and were with them for a long period of time uh, before this uh, violation. So we thank them uh, very much. And any uh, other groups uh, that came in there from our side or other uh, stakeholders who came there. I think it was a good exercise. It was good for democracy. And uh, in the end, I think that uh, the victory of the NDC uh, is largely uh, a product of uh, sympathy, um, not necessarily uh, that the NDC is the hard choice of the people of Asimov. Um, and I think at that point needs to be made. Mm, I, they, I, I see. But Mr. Hagba, if you say that uh, the victory of the NDC is actually as a result of sympathy voting, are you not also admitting that it could be as a result of the poor economic management brought on by your own government? Not exactly. Um, so at the point, uh, maybe you, you'll come to understand later. Uh, if I tell you the, uh, the NDC's message, you must say no. The NDC... Uh, came to a signal with a simple uh, message of one uh, seeking to advance or appeal to sympathy uh, for their candidate. And the message is one that the New Patriotic Party is persecuting uh, James Deticuason and not the law uh, that is dealing with him. So those are two different things. There's a false representation of the fact of the matter. And that false narrative created a situation where almost uh, as if the, it, it incited the people against the party and the government to say that intentionally, somehow, the equation has not done anything wrong and the government just out of its own desire or the party out of its own desire says that remove him. And, uh, and that we know is, is false, but that false narrative uh, uh, worked for them. And I don't know the morality of it. We can have a conversation about that uh, later on because we know, and you know, that it is not true that a new patriotic party just set out uh, to remove him from parliament without cause. That is cause based on his own forced representation or declaration when he filed. And so that's their first message. And that's that message. The goal is to appeal to people's emotions and incite them against government. That why would you want to persecute somebody? And you saw him himself speaking to say he sacrificed himself to 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 protect or to save Asimov. When in fact he is he is the cause and not the victim. So that message worked for them, even though it's false and should not be encouraged. And it's another false narrative the NDC pushed again, and also the purpose of that is to incite 
the people against government and, and, and their party, which is that the new patriotic party is seeking to remove Jesus uh, from parliament to give way for the passage of an LGBTQIA law that will legalize it in Ghana. Entirely false, completely false, completely unacceptable message, but that's what the NDC took there. Another false narrative that it pushed, a one uh, I could actually just point out to you, to say that, uh, you know, our candidate was a Galamsey candidate, and a lot of falsehoods was what the NDC was writing on. And the motive is essentially to appeal to emotion, make Mr. Jetsukwesen appear a victim, one that is being chased by a government. And that, uh, the tendency of people to align with that kind of message is how. And so that's what really carried the day. And I think that uh, we can have a conversation going forward about the acceptability of that false uh, messaging in our political uh, system. But somehow, that's what the NDC did and they carried the day. Interesting, but these reasons you assigned to your defeat are they not far fetched? Because in the lead up to the elections, you were also putting across messages that uh, the NDC's parliamentary candidate should not be voted for because he's likely to end up in jail, which many have even said is prejudicial to the case in, in court, and also the kind of activities you undertook and even the allegations of inducements. Uh, where, where do you put? Uh, where do you find a middle ground? I think you are putting too many questions into one. And so, yes, we, we, what I've talked to you about is the NDC's messaging, and which messaging I just told you that we as a country, as a people, need to uh, dissect the acceptability of such false communication for purposes of electoral power. That's one thing. But the other thing about, you know, the conduct and our message, uh, you see, the key thing, I've heard people say this, and I don't understand or see where that is wrong. There's precedent in this country where an individual breached the same law, Article 94, breached that, and was processed through our court system and ended up in jail. We have that. So if you have a precedent such as that, there's a probability, a 50-50 probability for you to say that, okay, given this experience, the probability is that this man may also end up that way because the commonality of the case is there for you to be able to make that educated guess on the basis of that. So that's really what uh, that assertion is about. It is not to prejudice the case, which has not been heard, but you're looking at what is, what is, what is there, what has happened. And these are the two cases that you see, the one that is gone, and the one that is here. And you're saying if you are looking at what is happening and you look at the fact that he broke the law or breached the same law that Adam Musakandi had breached, then the probability is that he would end up the way Adam Musakandi ended up. And I don't think that that is an egregious conclusion to reach because there is a guide for you to get to that point. You see, so I think that people just, the, the, the idea is to constrain our messaging to say that, oh, when you say that, then you are kind of being prejudicial. No, you are looking at an example and reaching a conclusion. I think it's scientific to do that. I see. Uh, but in the lead up to this particular by-election, unlike Kumewu, many said that this is actually a precursor to the next general elections in 2024. In fact, it was going to be the deciding factor. But now that you've lost, uh, is the party actually concerned or admit that it has lost it all, especially in terms of your 
mantra of breaking the eight? Well, I, I, well, people are at liberty to do those analysis, but if you ask my personal opinion and the opinion of a vast majority of people in our party, we remain resolute and very optimistic about our prospects in the in future elections. What just happened? And you saw there was before this in May, there was an election, by election in Kumaru, that which we won. It was our seat. We, we retained it. It was a very characteristic, uncharacteristic election where turnout, uh, uncharacteristic by election, the turnout was high. Uh, we won with a higher margin than we won in the general elections. You have a situation in a scene of a month later, uh, a seat belonging to the NDC. They have won it. Uh, very uncharacteristic of, uh, uh, you know, by-elections, and it was high turnout. They won with higher margin than they, they won in 20, uh, 2020. So you have a situation where uh, the two parties have retained their seats, okay? So if if you have that, you, you create, there's a situation that emerges that the elections in this country, and going to specifically talking about 2024, it remains competitive, and so that does not give advantage to MPP or give exclusive advantage to NDC. It just tells you that election coming up in 2024 is going to be very competitive. So no one can claim that we're going to win that for sure because we won Kumau, or nobody can tell you we are going to win 2024 because we won a send off. It's an even kill that we have, an even kill situation that we have. MPP has one, NDC has one. It remains a uh, level playing field. All the things going forward is that the two parties must compete um, and then put their best efforts forward. And I think that the NDP will be the party that edges the NDC in 2024. Mm. But I've seen the statement by President Kufar and also the statement from your party. In fact, the president says that uh, the NPP lives to fight another day. And also your party says that this particular victory for the NDC is actually a wake-up call for the NPP. What do these two statements from the president and also your party actually mean going forward for you as a party? Well, I mean, so the analysis I just did for you is that it tells you, the party, that the election is competitive, that you cannot take anything for granted or feel that it's a foregone conclusion that you're going to win in 2024 or you're going to lose in 2024. It just tells you that sit up, look at your notes and improve it. Uh, make systems a bit more efficient and see how is it that you can position yourself for ultimate victory in 2024. So yes, if it says the wake-up call, the wake-up call because you don't have absolute advantage. If the MPP had won, and I think this is where that statement comes from, if we had won that uh, election yesterday, the tendency for us to think that it's a done deal for us is high, right? But it, that's, that's really what that statement is trying to say, that with that situation created, that NDC has retained their seat, you have retained your, your seat. It just tells you that nobody has an absolute advantage, either NDC or NPP. We are in a competitive situation and you have to sit up. That's what really the import of that statement is. All right, let's leave it here. Uh, that's uh, Richard Anham, we are Director of Communications for the New Patriotic Party, speaking to us about what the party actually makes of its defeat in the Asin North by election. We saw the NDC's uh, parliamentary candidate, James Jachikwesin, becoming the Member of Parliament elect for the people of Asin North. We'll be getting a reaction also 
from the opposition NDC, which actually uh, won this particular election by election. And we've been joined uh, by its Deputy National Communication Officer, Malik Basentali. Uh, Mr. Basentali, good evening to you. Thank you for joining us on Eyewitness News. Good evening. Thanks mm. for having me. Let, let, let's begin from here. In fact, there were counter accusations that, you know, both the NPP and the NDC actually shared money in, in the lead up to this particular election. And of course, you won. Does it suggest that the NDC actually shared more money than the NPP? Uh, sometimes I don't know why people want to justify their sense with an equalization. And I've heard a lot of people out there try so hard to also accuse the NDC of sharing some amounts of money. Anyone who knows how elections are won will tell you and give you the standard to which every election would be won on. I was on Eyewitness News before the election, assured Umar. I told Umar that we had a strategy and we knew what we were investing our resources in. We knew how we were going to win the election, and we had a clear strategy to how the Ascent North election was going to be won. I again said on this same platform that even if the MPP decided to share human parts or give, give free services to heaven, we're still going to defeat them landslide, and we're going to defeat them with a margin that was more than what we did in 2020, we knew what we were talking about. We knew what we were doing. If it was about sharing goodies, trust me, my brother, the NDC wouldn't have gotten 1% in that particular election. But because they do not understand electoral processes in this country, because they do not understand how elections are won in this country, because they do not understand how to genuinely go into an election, identify the location of the election, and determine what strategy to use in that particular jurisdiction, I knew they were on the wrong spear. I knew they had misfired. I knew they were going to lose woefully. I knew they were going to waste a lot of state resources. And at the end of the day, they were going to go back to their drawing boards, crying, accusing each other, and then blaming themselves for their own negligence and ignorance and electoral processes in this country. So I can confidently see that the NDC did not share money. The MPP shared a lot of money, not only money, so many other logistics. But we still turned out victorious because we knew how to win elections in the Assembly North constituency. Mm. But this strategy you talk about not necessarily being, you know, uh, voter influence, will you see is uh, the ability of the NDC to have a robust collation process this time around? I'm saying this because we know that the problem of the NDC in elections actually has been issues of, you know, collating your own results. But yesterday it appeared uh, you did a good job with that. Is it because it was a one-off uh, by-election or it's something that the party is actually planning going into the larger election in 2024 so that you do not come back and cry foul for, you know, uh, results issues? First of all, who diagnosed the NDC's problem to be a challenge of collating results? Who, who did that, those, those analysis? Who diagnosed the NDC? Which report stated that the NDC's challenge has always been after after the last results. election, after the last uh -huh. election in 2024, you your party, that's the NDC, actually uh -huh. raised issues with, you know, results. For which reason? 
2020, for which reason you even went to court to dispute the election yeah, so, results? So, so the fact that we raised issues with the EC's coalition meant that we were doing our coalition effectively. If we did not do our coalition, how did we realize that the EC's coalition was wrong? If you do not do your coalition, how do you determine when the EC's coalition is wrong? It was because our coalition was right. And we, were, we arrived at the conclusion that the EC's coalition was wrong. And that was how come for the first time in elections in this country, the EC changed its results more than nine different times. We identified the problem the first time. They changed their results. They admitted error. The second time, they admitted error. The third time, they admitted error. Until the ninth time, it was the NDC's vigilance. If we did not do a better coalition, we would have been able to identify that. So, but, but if uh, you cast your mind back to, to, to right. 2020, after the general elections, your own right. party formed a committee going around looking or soliciting for what might have accounted for your loss in that election. And one so, of the so, key findings, actually, uh-huh. if, if, if I can end, one of the key findings actually was that the party itself was unable to do proper collation of its results. So yeah, that's I, the context I, in here. I am a national officer. I sit at functional executive committee meetings. I sit at national executive committee meetings. There hasn't been any report that suggested that the NDC lost the 2020 election because we couldn't collate our resources. All reports that we have found pointed to the fact that we lost 2020 because the MPP rigged the EC changes results on several locations. And when we got to court, the EC chairperson refused to appear before the witness box to answer to some coalition, I mean, shortfalls we had identified in our coalition. She refused. And so, till date, we don't have answers from them. If she had appeared, she would have heard our side of the story. She would have answered to our coalition we had done. And Ghanaian people would have seen the truth in that matter. But in our north, back to the, 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 the substantive matter, in our north, we did a good coalition. We did a good campaign. And mind you, coalition does not win elections in this country. No. Nobody votes for you because you have a better coalition system. Every Ghanaian will vote for a political party because you have a better message. And so we had a superior message to that of the MPP. If you listen to our campaign message in a send of my brother, you hosting this program would have voted for the NDC and Jews, James Achukwesen, because we had a good track record. Why? How is it difficult to explain for, to the people of Akonfuti that we have built a polyclinic for you? Vote for us again, and we are the second one. How is it difficult? How is it difficult to go to a, a village and tell them that what we have done for Akonfuti was because we just had a period of one year? Vote for us again. We'll give you a cheap compound. How is it difficult? But the MPP's message was that don't vote for a man who will go to jail. Don't vote for a man who will go to jail. Or else, if you vote for him, we'll arrest him. That was the only message of the MPP. All their resources, the IMF money and all other resources put together, you know what they used it to do? They went to Ascend North. They were giving everybody 200 CDs. They converted some into buying logistics and they were sharing. They converted some into hiring macho men. And my car was vandalized yesterday by some hoodlums that were being led by the Ashanti Regional, I mean, chairman of the new patriotic party, chairman Huntsby. He led them, they attacked my car, they damaged it. I was, I was not perturbed because I was by the ballot box. I was monitoring whatever was happening there and whatever they were doing to my car could not disrupt me. That is an intelligent electioneering process. 
that is an intelligent supervision. That is an intelligent vigilance. I mean, monitoring of elections. You don't let people divert your attention. I stood there, whatever they wanted to do, they couldn't because I told them you can ban my car, but I'll be here because I'm here for justice, I'm here for development, and I'll protect the ballot box. And that was what I did. So if you decide to invest all your money in hiring a, a group of hoodlums you have not employed as a party, Matome, you haven't given jobs. You've gone to hire them to come and fight for you. You used all your money in sharing, sharing. I mean, some parts of their money, they used it in hiring five VIP buses that brought very beautiful young ladies there. I mean, I saw those buses coming. Very fine girls from Accra. I didn't know what they were going to do with them. They brought them there. I'm sure those girls were properly dealt with. They finished everything and they came back to Accra. This is not how we win elections. So we went there with our single, single cast. We got there, we went to the people, we pleaded on them, we gave them our track record, we gave them our vision statement, we told them what the NDC was going to do for them, and we won this election by close to 5,000 votes. That was an impressive victory. And that should tell you that the NDC is a serious political party with a good message and a good track record. That was how we won the election. So it had nothing to do with sharing money. If it was about sharing logistics, trust me, my brother, the MPP would have beating us to it because they, why? the IMF money, over 600 million is in their coffers. IMF just gave us money. Ho ho hold on, but you also raised serious uh, allegations in there saying that the uh, government machinery actually brought in some girls uh, to a scene not. What exactly did these girls come there to do? As you can call German, uh, maybe Nanabi and ask him. I saw them. You're, you're making the allegations, uh, so you yeah, have to because I'm, I'm telling you that I saw five buses loaded with five, five MPP girls. To do what exactly? To, to call them and ask them. I saw them there. I don't know what they used them for. They were lodging in various hotels. I don't know what they were using those girls for. You well, if, if, them, if but, you can't prove, uh, then you can't make that allegation. Fast uh, forward, uh, let's, uh, talk about, uh, let's talk about the victory. Tell, I can't tell you what I saw again. <laughs> what is what I saw. If you're able to explain further, I'll be grateful. Oh, so I should tell you what they did to them in those days. Exactly, days because, because you are I was in the hotel room. Because I was in the hotel room. I wasn't there. But I'm telling you where the girls came from, what they were brought. Oh, their pictures are all over social media. I mean, I mean, some of them have started deleting those pictures. They were dancing, shaking body there, and they thought that that was how they were going to win the election. But we are the superior record, and we knew what we were about. I see. So what does this victory actually mean for the party going forward? It means a lot for this nation, at least. What it tells us is that the injustice of precious rule in this country is only a temporal process. And in the long run, people would stand up to injustice and people would stand up to oppressors rule. It also means a lot to this country because, I mean, politicians will begin to understand that you can't take the will of the people for granted. If people bestow power on in you, it is incumbent on you to deliver. It is incumbent on you to do more for them. You cannot just hire graders and, 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 and rush them into the constituency because of a by-election and think that these are headless chickens walking about and, and, and will just vote for you because they've seen a greater working. No. The people have given you an, another four-year mandate. You've been in power for over six years. What have you done for them? What have you given them? As a, which part of the national cake had been allocated to them? And so we politicians must learn lessons from some of these things. And the bigger lesson will be in 2024. President Agufwad and Dr. Baumia must know that they are on their way out of power. Ghanaians have risen and will never settle again. Ghanaians would stand up to their rights. Nobody can sit anywhere and determine who should lead them in a particular constituency. They own the constituency. 
they are the leaders of the constituency. They will vote for whoever they want to lead them. And, I'm, and so I think that this should be a lesson for the entire country. This should be a lesson to politicians. This should be a lesson to everybody, even including the judiciary. Everybody must understand that once the people determine who they want to lead them, you cannot deprive them of their rights. And one of the things the people of Asenov kept telling us as a party is that, look, NDC, we are voting for you because we know your track record. We are voting for you because we know what you have done for us before. We are voting for you because we know you are honest people, you are genuine people, you are hardworking people, you are diligent people who have demonstrated goodwill in, 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 in during the era in which we voted for you. And that was from the period of 2018 to 2016. And for the four-year mandate, President Mahama was president. We saw what you did for us. And so we will vote for you because of this credibility. Please, when you assume office, do not disappoint us. And I'm certain, and we have told them that you should know that we will never disappoint the people of this country. And for this group of nepotistic, corrupt, I mean, visionless, I mean, government that do not even understand where they are taking us to as a nation, I'm sure this should be a lesson to them. We should understand that. I, the I, I, I see, but, but, but briefly, is the party actually mindful of the criminal proceedings uh, to be faced by your, your parliamentary candidates? Oh, we have started attending court proceedings. The demonstration of yesterday's election, I'm sure should send a signal to whoever is sitting on this party. We have also explained that James Jachukwesen's case is entirely different from Abu Sakandi's matter. Mm, okay, this is a fine. man who demonstrated a good intent of renunciation, and his renunciation was given to, certificate was given to him even before the elections. We are confident that even with all the judgments that have been passed, because the president of the republic himself, who is a lawyer and we think should know better, has passed judgment on this man. He stood on a campaign platform. I don't want to use very harsh words, but I think that moving forward, there are things we shouldn't encourage. Uh, we as a new generation coming up should not tre- tread on, on, on that, that path. You don't stand on a platform and pass judgment on a man who the Constitution has proven innocent, who the Constitution states that is innocent until proven guilty. All right, uh, ma- ma- Malik, let, 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 so let's leave it here. We, 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 we think that, I mean, this case, is dead on arrival, mm. and we look forward to whatever is going to happen. Uh, on the side, we, we thank everybody. We thank the rank and file of the party. We thank the very good people of Asenov for reposing this, this confidence in us. We can assure them that we will never deceive them. We will never let them regret this decision and this honor they've bestowed upon us. To the MPP, maybe they can think of where to invest their money next time and not invest in it in macho men. And so fine, fine girls and buses to, to us and love. Okay, very well. But uh, I just want to bring to your attention an interview your general secretary actually granted to us here on City TV. And then I want to read except to you. In the last few elections that did not go too well, our main problem was that we simply failed to collate our own results. In 2020, that was a massive issue. We simply could not do that. So that is in who, reference who to the said, issue of Fifi Avequity, your general secretary. But we want to leave it here. Collate our results. Yes. Exactly the um, words he said on. So maybe when you go to your your, your national executive mm-hmm. committee, as you said, you sit on. Mm-hmm. They will be able mm-hmm. to look at this issue. But I, about Kadisala, too, you'll be waiting for our goat and uh, sala food here in the, the studio. You have you have not collected your good from the people who are sharing IMF money. You want to collect? <laughs> well, let's leave it. Thank have, you so much. Grateful, grateful, That's deputy national communications officer of the National Democratic Congress, uh, Malik Basintali, speaking to us then.
Let me now bring in Musa Dankwa, executive director of Global Info Analytics. You are aware of the polls, uh, his outfit actually released in the lead up to this particular election. Mr. Dankwa, good evening to you and thank you for joining us on Eyewitness News. What exactly accounted for the 57% victory for James Jachikwese? And I'm asking because of the marginal victory prediction you gave the NPP in the lead up to this particular election. Yeah. First, thank you very much for this opportunity. Um, we we just reported that he was leading. We didn't predict to win. If you uh, go to our report, we said he was leading by the end of the poll by 1.1%. But at the end of the day, we said that in our conclusion that we expect him to win the race. But, but why did the poll turn out the way it did? First and foremost, you look at the demography of people who were supporting uh, Charles. There were mostly young voters who were indicating they would vote for him. And I'm told on the day, young voters were not in the queue. The queue were made of people who are probably 25, 30, and above. So if you go into an election where your supporters said they will vote for you and they don't show up, you will lose. That's the first point. Now, the second point was that there were a chunk of people who were undecided, 6.9%, who ordinarily came from Charles when he was leading 57 point, uh, to 38% in the first poll that we did. Once voters desert you and move into the column of undecided voters, they are highly unlikely to come back to you. So what we believe happened was that those voters ended up voting for a child. And that significantly impacted on the numbers that he had. So you could say that um, the equation won the people who were undecided most of them, and then Charles lost ground to education on the basis that his demography didn't come out to vote. And so, that, so the point so, in, in simple terms would be that the six percent undecided people actually turned things around for James Jachikwesin. Is that the point? Yes, in a big, yeah, in yeah. a big way, yes, yes, yes. And in, in terms of uh, James losing ground, that was manifested even in the MPP stronghold of Kushia and even Brinku, uh, where they were hoping to win, and they didn't win in Kushia. So those were the reasons why James uh, outperformed the poll numbers quite spectacularly. But, but in your earlier analysis, you also said that the poll showed that a majority of the NDC voters were actually going to vote for James Yachikwesen because of the court cases actually voted, uh, facing. So is the point also to just suggest that... No, what, 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 what we said was that we didn't see majority of the NDC were going to vote for Charles. We said Intended. That, we said that 57% of our voters in the constituency were planning, they said they intend to vote for um, Charles. And then the rest were voting for James. However, 47% of people who said they were voting for Charles were doing so because they were scared away by the court case. Those were not just NDC people. They were people from all uh, party blocks. Okay. But but my substantive question actually is yeah. that is the victory of James Jashikwesin simply because of, you know, the sympathy votes that many have actually said or a reflection of, you know, uh, the poor performance of the NPP? If you look at your own assessment after 
uh, the, 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 the results were declared? What will you see? No, I mean, to be very precise, you need to do an exit poll. But what you could say is that it was a combination of factors. One, the perception that they are persecuting um, the situation was a factor. Two, the fact that they left development projects late and they hired to come and do it just as they did in Kumau. That was a factor. And another factor was the sheer opulence and the sprinkling of money in the consequence made some people very angry. All right. Uh, thank you very much. That's uh, Musa Dankwa, Executive Director of Global Info Analytics. This is still Eyewitness News on 97.3 CTFM with Mini Lati Lati here tonight with Akusia Ochiri 10 with more stories. Be there as it happens. Let your voice be heard on Eyewitness News on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash city97.3, Twitter at twitter.com forward slash city973, and Instagram at instagram.com forward slash city973 with the hashtag Eyewitness News. Welcome back. Thank you for staying with us here on Eyewitness News. Let's bring you one of our top stories involving, uh, you know, uh, the Gold Coast customers on the Messenger server at Yoko. The aggrieved customers of Gold Coast Fund Management want an investigations, an investigation rather into the Economic and Organized Crime Office for their inability to produce a server needed for an ongoing court case. Now, the server, which belongs to the fund management company, contains a backup data of its investors and was confiscated by the Yoko after the company's operational license was revoked in November 20, 2019. Charles Nyame is convener for the aggrieved customers of Gold Coast uh, Fund Management. He joins us on Eyewitness News. Mr. Nyame, how concerning is this disappearance of the server to you as a group? Thank you very much. I would like to just extend greetings to your listeners and every customer of Gold Coast Fund Management. It is a very great concern to we, the customers of Gold Coast Fund Management, in a sense that as we speak now, our payment has been five years now delayed, and the government has conditioned the payment of our locked-up funds to a successful securing of the liquidation order in the court. Now, on the liquidation case, we have reached a point where the judge has ordered that the server, which belongs to Gold Coast Fund Management, which was confiscated by the Securities Administration Commission through Yoko, should be granted access to the Gold Coast Fund Management lawyers for certain data, which is investment files of clients, so that they can uh, reconcile the figures which the uh, Registered United Department has brought to the court as a debt owed customers. And to our early dismay, uh, last week when we went to the court, that is on the 21st of June, the Registered United Department lawyers came to report to the court that upon their effort to reach out to the Yoko for the server and its contents, the response they got from Yoko is that this server, worth over 3.5 billion, I mean its content, has lost or they cannot locate it. And it is a great concern because the more the case delay, the more our payment delay. What we are saying to the government is that we want an immediate investigation to be opened against the dealings of this Yoko. Because Yoko is not a wayside choba where records cannot be kept like where the server was, when the server was taken, where it was 
taking to who was given order to be in charge of the server. So if they say they can't locate the server, then I think their structure must be open to investigation. And we are calling on the government to, to give order to the Yoko to submit the server to the court at its next adjourned date, which is on the 3rd of July. We are also calling on the government that now that the server which is in the custody of the government has gotten missing by the government, then the government has no grounds to hold our payment to ransom to any condition of secure liquidation order from the court. Because it is clear that the government actions and inaction is deliberately delaying the liquidation process. Mm. And for five years now, we can't wait any longer. Therefore, the government should advance payment through the already approved bailout package from the, uh, uh, from the parliament, and also the government can advance, advance payment from the stability fund, which is 15 billion set to support struggling uh, financial institutions. So two quick things. You want an investigation into the disappearance of this server you're talking about, and also because you say that uh, the disappearance is actually because of quote-unquote Yoko or government's negligence. Government should not subject the payment of your lockdown funds, you know, any liquidation process. But have you triggered any process? Who do you want to do this in- investigation and what steps have you taken to ensure that the matter is proved into? Uh, the, the first step we have taken is to create public awareness to this happening so that the, the, the state institution, that is, you see, when we say government, government should know the right thing to be done. You see, parliament can take over this investigation. And other governmental institutions, the police uh, intelligence the department can also take up this in, in, investigation because the server is not just a sheet of paper which can be mixed up with documents that you come and tell the, 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 the court that it is missing. So we want the government to open the whole structure of Yoko to investigation because we are seeing this as a deliberate ploy of the government because this this this, this, this server has not missed how because it is this same server that PWC PWC used it to validate our claims which they are still ongoing validating claims mm. so what data are they using to validate the claims it is just a deliberate point for the government to buy time. And if the government so wish to buy more time, people are dying. Over 800 of our customers who are pensioners are dead and gone. And we have to count them. And how long must people work hard, support this nation, think of this nation, invest their money into the nation's financial sector instead of saving it offshore, as some politicians are doing. And at the end of the day, you, you, you bring a policy, which is a financial climate policy, which you promise that this policy is coming to help and prevent the loss of investors' investments and deposits' deposits. And at the end of the day, we rather lose everything for five years. Business have collapsed because their source of capital, which is in investment, has been locked out for over five years. People education have been hotted because we, the we, very ones that their deceased parents mm. left for them are in the in the locked up file for years now. People cannot go to school. What we, kind of country we, we, are we, we in, Mr. Nyame? Well, I understand the concerns you are raising, but we also try to, and our sources there tell us that in fact the server has been presented to you as a coalition. What was your response to that? You said that the server has been done what? No, the, the server has actually been given to Gold Coast. 
Yes, and that you, the members of the coalition, are not in the known. For which reason you are raising these concerns? Have you tried to seek answers to, you know, uh, authorities of the defunct company? Listen to me. We are not basing on hearsay. We are talking about proceedings that went on in the court of competent jurisdiction, that is Accra High Court, uh, Commercial Court 6. This is a report that... Just to be clear, one point, have you been able to seek, you know, answers from uh, uh, management of the defunct company? Because Yoko says that they've handed over the server to managers of the defunct company and not you as customers of, of the company. No. There are two different we, issues. We did not request it for the server. It is the court that requested, gave order that the server, content of the server, should be granted access to go to fund management. And registered general department lawyers representing the government came to the court and reported to the court that the server that the court has requested, that its content should be granted access to go to fund management upon their consultation. I, I get that, but I'm just asking, have you sought explanations from management of the defunct company? That's the point I'm, I'm trying to, you know... The lawyers of on. the defunct companies were in court, and they were, and the rest of officials of the company were in court, and they were even taken aback on this revelation. That's okay. We we'll see how this particular them. one unfolds in the next adjourning days. But thank you so much, our Sinami convener, for the aggrieved customers of Gold Coast Fund Management Company. And Akusa will tell us some more stories. Yes, President Okufuado has reiterated his government's willingness and commitment to working to bounce back the economic gains of the country. Ghana's economic fortunes have been taking a nosedive in recent times, with government seeking a $3 billion IMF bailout package. Inflation rates have been high, with the city losing its value against other major currencies. Despite attributions of the situation by government to the COVID-19 pandemic and the Russia-Ukraine war, many stakeholders have called for drastic measures to, to be taken to change the narrative. Speaking at the Eid prayers held at the Independence Square to mark the celebration of Ido Ada President, Ikufaro gave assurances of his government working assiduously to bring the economy back on track. I'd be remiss if I did not talk about the economic circumstances that set our country in the wake of the COVID-19 pandemic, whose effects have been exacerbated by the Russian invasion of Ukraine. Even so, this government has continued to stand by its major policy commitment. We'll continue to keep the lights on. We'll continue to provide free SHS education. We have continued to ensure drone delivery of critical medicines to needy and remote communities. We'll continue to keep the operation of the Zongo Development Fund. We'll continue to build new roads and repair old ones. We'll continue with our one district, one factory policy and the program for planting for food and jobs. It is this attitude and commitment by government that have enabled our nation to obtain an IMF program in record time. We're beginning to navigate the turbulence with our economy growing by 4.2% in the first quarter of 2023. The currency has seen some stability lately and through the Gold for Oil program, we've seen the stability in the prices of petroleum products as well, all of which 
helping to bring inflation down. Things are getting better and will get better, I can assure you. In the spirit of Eve, I ask you to continue to support the government, your government, to deliver the needed progress and prosperity that we all see. You heard that President Ekufuado. There's still eyewitness news on 97.3 CTFM. My name is Ni Lati Lati here tonight with Akusua Ochi. Next is business, after which we'll bring you a repeat of today's honest series of the City Business Festival with William Nettie, head of agribusiness, speaking to us on financing opportunities for agribusiness. Do stay tuned in. Eyewitness News. Be there as it happens. Get the details. Every significant financial transaction, every market movement, and all the policies that affect your business. City Business News. Be informed. Hello and welcome to City Business News and Eyewitness News brought to you by your most comprehensive business news website, citybusinessnews.com. I'm Akusia Autry. Let's settle for the details. The government has raised concerns about the potential negative impact of excessive interest rate hikes on trade and industry, particularly in light of the persistent inflationary pressures experienced in the country. To correct this, it is urging policymakers to exercise caution when adjusting interest rates as their strategy may inadvertently worsen the goal of reducing inflation. Speaking at the Financial and Economic Seminar 2023, Deputy Minister for Trade and Industry, Dr. Stephen Amor, highlighted the need for a nuanced approach to monetary policy considering the underlying causes of inflation. We keep on increasing policy rate, or for that matter, interest rate, with the aim of reducing inflation. It's been happening in Ghana for a long time. And I have this one argument that it's sometimes unduly affecting trade and industry. Why? If the, in, the inflationary rate is being caused as a result, rising soil as a result of cost push, you should be careful the way you adjust interest rate or policy rate up. Assuming our cost of doing business is going up, and we know that one of the major cost variables is interest rate we can, because hardly you see a lot of people entering into equity businesses. Normally, that finance you away from the banks. And then you increase interest rate again, what happens? Then we call something strategic drift. And I think that the description I normally give, that you have a strategy. But the strategy is rather worsening your, 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 your hard life with it, your, your goal, or no, your challenge, sorry, or your difficulty, your setback. It's not rather solving the problem, but it's worsening it because the strategy does not really fit. That was Deputy Minister for Trade and Industry, Dr. Stephen Amwar. Now, economist and financial lecturer at the University of Ghana Business School, Professor Godfred Buckwing, has reiterated calls for government to consider innovative tax policies to address concerns raised by the business communities. This comes on the back of the justification by the International Monetary Fund, IMF, for the adoption of three mobilization measures, as well as the increase in utility costs as Ghana attempts to fix its balance of payment problems. But according to the lecturer, government could adopt a more strategic approach in order not to overburden businesses. Here's Professor Goffred Bokwin speaking on the issue. You can even look at tax from two perspectives. Tax as an investment 
So there are countries that lower their taxes as a way of promoting what? Businesses. So that when businesses grow, look, assuming we had like, if you go and check top 20 businesses in Africa, top 50 businesses in Africa, we will not find Ghana in there. But the point that I'm making is that the method we have chosen to restore their sustainability is going to impose unnecessary hardship and, and we can avoid that. It is not the case that Ghana hasn't developed because we have not collected enough tax revenue. We know that our tax to GDP ratio is very low. But if you do the modeling, you will see that with our level of tax to GDP, this is not where Ghana should be. In fact, if you compare Ghana's case to Malaysia, okay, at independence, at GDP per capita, in fact, we were far better off living in Ghana during independence in the early 60s actually than being in Malaysia or actually than being in Singapore. Sure. Ghana's GDP per capita in 1961-62 was actually higher than South Korea. If you look at the graph today, you see where Malaysia is, where Singapore is, and where Ghana is. The gap seems almost impossible to close. That was economist Professor Godfred Bokbing. And that's it for this evening's edition of City Business News on Eyewitness News. It was brought to you by a most comprehensive business news website, citybusinessnews.com. I'm Akusia Ochi. City News. We speak first. Reach our hotline on 0302-224959. And get interactive on Facebook, City 97.3 FM, and on Twitter at City 973.